You're listening to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast from More Trek Media. On Earth, 200 years ago, I was a prince with power over millions. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. Hello, welcome to Shields Up, the Star Trek podcast. My name's Chris and with me as ever is Neville. Today we're talking about the film Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. I'm not going to give you a synopsis because you should already know it, you Philistines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good intro. (laughs) Okay, so this, this one follows on from our coverage of Space Seed. Uh, which, as you know from our previous one, is my very favourite Star Trek original series episode. Uh, I've been really, really looking forward to this. And I know I'm kind of stealing the wind out of your sails here, but I love this film. This film is great, isn't it? It is, it is a masterclass, <coughs> I think, in, especially in Star Trek films, because some of them are very miss, some of them are all right. Well, it goes with the whole... It, it, it's the one that started the whole even-numbered Star Trek films are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Because this is a great film. You know, it, I, Sorry, go on. No, no, I, I was going to say that it's the, the improvement of this versus the motion picture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like chalk and cheese. And one of the biggest parts of that, as I understand it is sidelining Gene Roddenberry, which I know sounds like heresy, mm. but it worked. Yeah, um, I think the the guy who wrote it, he'd never seen Star Trek before. So when he was asked to do a Star Trek film, he was like, all right. And he watched the entire original series. And his takeaway from that was, Khan is amazing. So let's write a film about him. You know, yeah, he, they already had a, a character there, ready, <laughs> waiting to go. They had his motivations, being abandoned on on SETI Alpha Five, and and he was he was just ready and primed, and he was not just ready and primed to be a villain, but he would be an excellent adversary, which he does turn out to be. That's right, and it's it's quite good that this is a um, an enemy that they've faced before. I mean, we said um, on the last episode about when we talked about Space Seed that Spock said um, something along the lines of, oh, it'd be great to turn back or go back there in 100 years to see what sort of civilization they'd created. So- yes, yeah. No, he's, he, he was absolutely right. He, he, they, he talked about going back there and seeing what, what that seed that Kirk had sown had grown into. Mm-hmm. And in this, well, we certainly get to find out. That is very true. And you said... Um, SETI Alpha 5 wrong as well. How do you say it properly? This is SETI Alpha 5! <laughs> That's right. That's exactly how you say it. And uh, no other way ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just... Oh, it's, oh, it's fantastic. I, I love the way he's, he's, he's cool and calm and totally in control and then suddenly he just loses it at, mm. at Chekhov and Terrell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he goes, no, we left you on SETI out of five. This is SETI Alpha six. This is SETI Alpha five. <laughs> and um, 
yeah, because they said like uh, six months after they landed, SETI Alpha 6 exploded. Yes, and not SETI Alpha 5. SETI Alpha 5! <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, off, yeah. off its orbital plane or something. <clears throat> not off its orbit, not off its or orbital plane. Yeah, to, and, uh. and destroyed the environment and um, and everything. The, 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 the disaster did leave one uh, one of the original SETI Alpha 5 organisms, didn't it? Oh, the, um, the brain slugs. What are they called? I don't actually know what they're called, but but I think uh, the brain slugs is a good name for the young, definitely. Mm. They uh, wrap themselves around the uh, cerebral cortex, not quite domesticated. <laughs> That's right. They they are great because they say that it wraps around there and it makes people easily open to suggestion. Yeah, easily open to suggestion, and they um, it gradually causes uh, causes madness before death. That's right. Because he was saying, because there wasn't, because of the 72 people, sorry, 73 people, because um, MacGyver's joined them, didn't she? So there wasn't many left. Mac MacGyver's who we assume became Khan's wife in this instance. Yeah, because he, he refers to her as that, doesn't he? It's like my beautiful mm. wife and lots of people. And then he lost loads more to these things before they realised, before they realised these brain slog things were killing them. Yes, yeah, uh, and I think it's, it's never explicitly stated that MacGyver's was his wife, but I think given the relationship that we could see blossoming mm -hmm. uh, at the end of Space Seed, it's a fairly, and the fact that she's not there, it's it's a pretty reasonable assumption um, mm -hmm. that, that, that Khan uh, and uh, MacGyver's became a, became a permanent item. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's the takeaway I took from it as well, because cause it, if it happened like six months after, That'd be a heck of a turnaround for him to be like, oh, you're stronger than I thought. And being all involved in her to getting rid of her and then being with somebody else who got killed yes. in the accident. Yeah, and Khan is the kind of man that uh, when he sees what he likes, he takes it. Mm -hmm. And he certainly saw MacGyver's and liked her. That's... And the feeling was definitely mutual. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was totally hot for him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think we, which we talked about quite a lot last time. Yes. <laughs> so, what, what do you think? I mean, the whole SETI Alpha Five, SETI Alpha Five <laughs> uh, thing, the whole SETI Alpha Five thing. I can always edit those out. Mm -hmm. The whole SETI Alpha <laughs> Five thing. Um, it is. It, it, it's a great way of, of, of reintroducing him. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's only been was it 15 years yep. isn't it yeah 15 years yeah it was 15 years since this the original space seed came out mm -hmm. 15 years when after when wrath of calm was released so it's 15 years in real time um roughly about the same amount of time as 2020 took and mm -hmm. i think that um God, that joke didn't go over well, did it? No, I was, uh, I was agreeing. I was letting you flow. No, I, it just felt, felt like it just kind of felt a little bit forced. Um, but uh, I, I think it was a great way to to introduce him. And even though Chekhov wasn't the proper vector for it, uh, it was it was brilliant in the sense that there's something familiar about this place. Yeah, because. Um... That whole thing with using Chekhov to use it. I think they were probably trying to find that vector, but all of the other crew members were in other roles 
or in other promotions and other starships and, and everything which is funny because Chekhov was the only person out of that entire crew who wasn't in Space Seed no he wasn't was he <laughs> no <laughs> I think they um, because he's like because um, he recognises the SS Botany Bay doesn't he and then he has to think for a minute and Khan recognises him and he recognises Khan and I think like uh, in retrospect they were saying like oh Chekhov was on the ship but he was on the night shift Night Watchman Chekhov Night Watchman Chekhov that's right <laughs> so that's how they fluff that bit and and Chekhov's reaction is is brilliant he's he's you could see just a slow dawning realization Mm -hmm. of exactly where he is and then utter panic yeah because he just says to Tyrell doesn't he we need to leave we need to leave and then they leave the um the container that they're in which they found on this inhospitable planet and then you just see Khan and his chums standing outside Looking like sand people. Looking like sand people. That's right. <laughs> they walk in single file, you know. <laughs> augments, <laughs> augments, and sand people. So you don't know their true numbers. Oh yeah. Oh, I'd never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Except we're seeing them from the side this time, so we've got a better idea. They yeah. clearly not so superior. No, no, <laughs> not so superior as sand people. <laughs> I, I, I do like Khan's entrance as well. I think. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's it is overdone, but it's but it's done so well. It just they just take their time introducing him before he and that that fabulous chest and mullet are revealed. That's right, yeah, because he takes off one glove, only one glove, and he leaves the other one on for the rest of the film. Which I don't understand why he did that, unless he's I don't know Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> what was that about? What, it was the eighties. He he did leave Earth in the 90s. Mm, that's very true. And MJ was still around then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he could be trying to channel bad or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> he could be. But yeah, that, that slow reveal of where he yeah takes off his gloves, he takes off his coat, slowly unwraps the scarf, takes his mask off, and then Chekhov is just gone. Being the man he is... I mean, it's the kind of thing you'd you'd imagine him doing anyway, because he knows how to draw in an audience. Because he, I mean, he's 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 so charming, so charismatic all mm-hmm. through the film, and he's he's a born leader. Mm-hmm. And simple displays of of like this, where he has them absolutely within his power, and he will take his time to reveal himself in order to increase the tension he's 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 obviously went to rada or something well yeah yeah because he 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 knows what he's doing as well doesn't he i mean as an actor to as well as the direction that he did got to do the slow reveal and he is an intimidatingly sized person yeah there's no doubt about that he is he is a big guy yeah um bizarrely like because when they asked him to come back for the wrath of carnage he was in fantasy island as mr rourke and they were like, yeah, I've never, going, se- I ne- never seen that. No, but. no, I was just reading something about it, and and he was concerned that people wouldn't ever see him as anything but Mr. Rourke. But when they put him in Khan's clothes and his attitude and um, and the hair and everything, he is chalk and cheese, isn't it? What, what, what I mean, I don't know the character Mr. Rourke out of Fantasy Island. So what 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 about him is is different? Is he is he nice or? Yeah, he uh, runs a unique resort. Um, and um, so people come there and, and pretty much any fantasy that they have by the guests he um, 
fulfills them, but oh, right. like, but with a slight twist on them and stuff. But he's he's like a tall, charming man in a white suit. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. I've only seen a couple of um, a couple of episodes. Is it kind of like kind of like Westworld? Well, uh, no, <laughs> oh. no. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps we should probably have a little look at that though. But um, yeah. his 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 sidekick was um, his sidekick was in Man with a Golden Gun. He played um, Knickknack. Oh, okay. I didn't. I I, I know. I know who that is. Mm. Yeah, he he was in it as well as his um, sidekick. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Well, if if he's a nice, generous man, then that's it's kind of a bit the polar opposite of who Carl is then. Mm. Oh, here you go. It says, Mr. Rourke's actual age is never made clear. In the pilot film, he comments how the guests who come to his island are so mortal. And there are hints throughout the series that suggest Rourke may be immortal. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Which is how he gets his powers to make those fantasies come mm. true. Yeah, it says um, here as well, Rourke had a strong moral code and was always merciful. He usually tried to teach his guests important life lessons through the medium of their fantasies. However, like, I think... We're going a little bit off topic. Um, yep. It is a totally different character from the force of nature that is Khan and the powerful, controlling, egotistical man that Khan is. Speaking of powerful, I do really like those convenient handles on the on the uh, suits that Tyrell and Chekhov have. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's 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 dandy then. <laughs> there is there is a comment um, in in the in space seed where I think it's McCoy says he could pick us pick two of us up with one arm. That's right. Yeah, he's he's he does say that, doesn't he? Is he's so strong that he could probably pick both of us up with one arm. And then there's, he goes and grabs Chekhov mm. and says, "Why are you here?" And it's it just it just again just adds to his whole presence. That's right. He is he is a great person from the in this film especially. Like he was in in Space Seed, he as soon as he's on stage, on stage, on screen, he yep. totally is the focus mm -hmm. of of yes. everything there. It's it's about him when he's on screen. Just the way he'd want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's like really really well done. Like you said, he said, "What are you doing here?" And that's when we find out about the brain slugs. I think they're called Seti eels, properly. Se Seti eels. That's a good name for them. Mm. Um, and that's how I, do, I do. I I do like. Hang on, sorry. I do okay. like when 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 he gets when he gets the little baby ones out. How it mm. sort of goes and coughs and spits back at him. It's, it's yeah. just really cheesy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> they um, they use the brain slugs to find out about why they're there, which is for the Genesis Project. Yes. The Genesis Project. Now that is, speaking of worms or eels, mm. that is that's that certainly opens a whole can of worms and take it adds a completely different dimension to the film and gives Khan his his in his his vehicle mm -hmm. to uh, vehicle to enact his revenge. That's that's right because um, one of Khan's chums say to him we have the ship we can go anywhere but it is all about getting revenge on Kirk yeah uh, as 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 someone who wants to dominate everywhere that he's mm -hmm. he, he is or or someone who wants to go ahead and found his own fiefdom again 
far from the torrid wastelands of, of, of SETI Alpha 5, basically to, to do what he originally intended when he set out, Genesis is, is a fantastic tool because he could either create his own paradise or he could lay waste to those who, who oppose him. And you would think that would be the, the pinnacle because as far as Carol Marcus, Kirk's old flame who's developing it, is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, this this is the the ultimate vehicle for creation, but can mm-hmm. also be turned to destruction, and and that should be the the pinnacle of, of 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 power for him. But even then, the vengeance, the the desire for revenge overrides that. Yeah, because he um, he knows Chekhov, who used to be on the Enterprise found out about the Genesis project and then they go to regular one where the Genesis project is being developed tells Chekhov to tell them that they found the planet but they're coming to collect all the materials on Starfleet's orders from Admiral Kirk which is a ploy by Khan to lure Kirk there yes in this instance he can kill two birds with one stone he can achieve world domination on the planet of his choosing and exact his revenge on his old foe that's right and um I like Khan quotes um, Moby Dick a few times, and in, the, in, in when uh, Chekhov is looking around the container that they first go into, there's the books on the shelf, which is the camera does linger on on the bookshelf, and it's got Moby Dick front and center in there, and um, Kirk has become Khan's white whale. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah. not very subtle, but it it's, it is perfect. Yes, yeah, it's it's he's he can do whatever he likes and people are there trying to drag him away from it but he's like no i'm i'm gonna have him yes absolutely he he um i don't know i don't think i can add anything to what you said really <laughs> okay <laughs> i think you just said it just just right <laughs> so yeah uh yeah the the, the moby dick uh, alleg- alleg- the moby dick allegory is is not it, it really isn't terribly subtle but um it is equally appropriate but you've also got um mm-hmm. you know there's there's dante and uh, uh, and you've got um what else is there uh there's the inferno by dante and paradise lost by milton and i think mm-hmm. those elements of those definitely come into this and especially when you you listen to some of his dialogue uh, some of the later stages of the movie and he mm-hmm. he paraphrases them and just does it so well he does he does uh, when um his mate is trying to get him to turn around and um and they're on the reliant and he says he tasks me he tasks me and i shall have him yes and it's it's he's consumed by the revenge let's let's talk about about some of the uh, some of the lines in this in this film because there are mm-hmm. so many great lines for, you've got Khan as you said saying he tasks me and I shall have him but you've also got mm-hmm. some some wonderful deliveries by by the holy trinity of, of McCoy and and Kirk and Spock as well of course mm-hmm. you, you do you do galloping round the galaxy is a game for the young Dr. McCoy <laughs> that's right or um I interrupted you for no reason there. No, I, I'd finished. <laughs> we're, we're still fine. Still yeah, finding I, our, our I verve here, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. But I, I, 
I had another one, but it just popped out of my head because it's something I want to talk about later about the tone of the film when it comes to regards of the Holy Trinity. Right. I was I was going to use this uh, series of of I was thinking about using sort of the talking about the lines to segue into what you pointed out, which was uh, about uh, growing old and friendship. Uh, yeah, that yeah, that's that's what I was going to do. But then I think I suddenly um, what I was going to say would have been a it wouldn't have been a segue that would have been a total change of tack <laughs> well so there is the um there's a line on the bridge when uh when when kirk walks uh just before he walks away from uhura and and uh, sulu he says uh, galloping around the galaxy is is a game for the young and they say well what does he mean by that and you can see when when they're on the screen there they're all definitely older than than we remember. They're not they're not aged, but they are definitely older. And and I think that really highlights a lot of how this film focuses on growing older and 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 friendships. That's right. Um, because Spock mentions a couple of times that um he says um I have been and always shall be your friend. Um, Stop it. <laughs> yeah, shush, shush. I know, sorry. Wipe I'm your not... ears. Wipe your ears? <laughs> or dry your tears? I'll, I'll um, do my ears, but I'll do my eyes first, if you don't mind. Mm. I'm not crying, you're crying. But but it's, it is about them getting older and, and, and their friendships and everything. McCoy notices it, and uh, it's Kirk's birthday, and he's on his own in his room. And um, McCoy gives him the glasses. Yes. And says, like, uh, you know, I'm a doc. I'm your doctor. I can see that you're, you need these, uh, this treatment. And Kurt goes, I'm, I'm allergic. And he goes, that's why I bought you the glasses. There's no harm in getting older. I think is what the whole point McCoy was saying there in his, in his way. Yeah, and if if you look around Kirk's room as well, it's clear that while he's there on his own, he's, he is sharing a nice glass of. Romulan ale with his friend mm-hmm. but if you look around his room it's clear that the room is is just a substitute for where he really needs to be and that's on the bridge of a starship because it's it's mm-hmm. all antique naval memorabilia from from the uh, flintlock flintlock pistols on the wall to that's other fine. you know to other artifacts he's made his room into where he wants to be as opposed to where he actually is. That's right, and um, people have mentioned it to him a few times, is that he's wasted behind the desk as an admiral. He should be in command of a ship. Anything else is a waste of material. Yeah, that's right, in, a, in his very logical way. And he's saying the same thing as McCoy's saying to him, whereas McCoy is more emotional about it. Spock is just logical. As opposed to in the, in the, in the motion picture, this is the movie where that holy trinity of McCoy and Kirk and Spock, you really see that start to blossom again. Because I didn't feel it in the motion picture, but in this in this film I definitely do. You can see them playing off each other. I think it's, it's really well highlighted in the uh, mm-hmm. Kobayashi Maru scene, uh, when mm-hmm. you've got all three of them are on the bridge and uh, Spock is nominally captain of the Enterprise and asks Mr. Savick if uh, she's ever piloted a ship out of space dock before. In that scene, he tells her to go ahead and, and pilot it out, and you can see Kirk is tense, his eyes are wide, 
and 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 McCoy, <laughs> the look on McCoy's face. Yeah, he just you can almost see him twitching. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's 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 quite wonderful, and I think genuinely, even though Spock isn't supposed to sort of feel human emotions, he is still half human, and I think he may have done it just to put them on the spot or to have a dig at the two of them. Yeah, because I think even though, like you said, you know, he he's, he's a logical person and he doesn't show his emotions or anything, they have a very, very good relationship in the fact that they all rib each other all the time. Yes. Yeah. And when when yeah. um, <laughs> Spock says, Mr. Sulu, indulge yourself, and and mm. McCoy looks <laughs> like he's, he's about to fall over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's quite funny. It's just, oh gosh, yeah. You know, well, it is. It is. It is a good scene in a, about their their ongoing and lasting relationship between those three and and the rest of their crew. Yes, uh, yeah, and it, it's only augmented by people like 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 Uhura and Sulu, and and to mm-hmm. a lesser extent in this film because he is separate from them quite a bit. Uh, Chekhov. They, 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 they serve to feed into the three of them, and I think it's it's done really well. Um, I mean, they've had they've had the, the the original series to kind of develop that relationship, but it has been some time. But um, mm-hmm. Harv Bennett, who you mentioned earlier, who wrote the the story, he didn't write the screenplay, mm-hmm. but he wrote he wrote the original story behind it. Knew what he was watching, and he took he took mm-hmm. that, and he just made it blossom. Yeah, that's that's right. They could have made the relationships much more fake because they feel like real relationships and they have been friends for 20 years. In this movie, you see a lot more of the sort of the military side of Starfleet in the sense that you have mm-hmm. the more formal uniforms. You have things like the, mm-hmm. uh, the bosun's whistle when Kirk... Uh, steps onto the ship. You've got mm-hmm. uh, Spock calling Lieutenant Savick, Mr. Savick, which, as I understand mm-hmm. it, not being Navy, but as I understand it, uh, Lieutenant is called Mr. in the Navy, as opposed to their actual rank. I could, I could okay. have the rank wrong, but definitely this is sort of the first officer rank that, that you get. Okay. They're, they're called Mr. So you do see a lot more of that. So it could have, it could easily have come out a lot stiffer, a lot less personal between them. But they've added those elements while still retaining that that original camaraderie between them. Yeah, that's 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 right. Did I get did I get that's the right. rank right? I wasn't sure. I, I don't think know. I'm fairly sure it's lieutenant know. or sorry, American lieutenant. No, I I don't, I don't know, but it would be a good reason why they kept calling her um, Mr. Savick. <laughs> there is definitely a navy tradition behind that i did i i was wondering about it but then i didn't bother looking it up <laughs> so. well the nice the nice thing about that even without knowing that that's a naval tradition as mm. i understand it it shows that in 1982 there is a film quite a you know diversely cast film for the time and they're calling mm-hmm. a woman mister which you could easily interpret as saying well everyone's addressed the same way now 
and there's no differentiation between sexes or genders when it comes to pronouns like that everyone's equal and that really appeals to me yes that does yeah that it's taken her position into account not her gender like you said yeah exactly and it's the respect for the it's respect for the the rank and the person doing it isn't it yeah yeah i didn't think we were going to get into gender politics in this episode but uh (laughs) again (laughs) and here we are (laughs) and here we are the genesis project Okay, so the Genesis Project is a device which will take a lifeless moon or planet and, with accelerated growth, turn it into a habitable planet Mm -hmm. within days. Which is amazing science, if you think about it. They'd be like, well, we could take this moon, just dump this missile on there, and, and it turns it into a lush, habitable planet. What that suggests to me is that if people are working on this, you know, Dr. Marcus and her son David, are working on this does that suggest to you that there are not many habitable planets in the galaxy or planets available for colonization by the federation or non-federation planets it it certainly does it makes sense as well because how many planets out there are going to be in the goldilocks zone now we we know with hindsight now that there are millions upon millions of planets out there mm-hmm. but the amount of those in the in the so-called goldilocks zone it, it's not a huge percentage and those that would have a lovely 70% oxygen 28% uh, 70% nitrogen uh, 28% mm-hmm. oxygen 2% noble gases and etc and would be just right for us they've mm-hmm. got to be few and far between also, also, on that vein, um, do you remember that Next Generation episode called The Chase? You're going you're gonna to have to enlighten me on this one. Okay, this is the one where um, Professor Galen, who used to be a teacher of Picard, uh, discovered the existence of a program built into every intelligent life form's genetic build-up. Mm-hmm. So they were like, uh, so the Enterprise was running around and the Klingons and the Romulans and the Cardassians were there as well. And everyone thought it was something different. And when they put it all together, it produced a hologram about a message but from these ancient humanoids from like four and a half billion years ago or something. And they said like they traveled the galaxy and there was no other life like them. So they seeded the galaxy, including, you know, Earth, Cardassia and, and a bunch of other planets. And that's why you get so many humanoid type races in the galaxy because of this one race, which were the only ones. So they... They seeded the primordial environments of many planets, um, which would direct the evolution towards a form similar to themselves. So did they do that on like pretty much every planet? So there's intelligent races on every planet which are not available for colonization, and that's why the Genesis project is being designed, because they can now take lifeless planets for colonization. Because I think how many planets are in the Federation? That sounds like a bit of a fudge for sticking a guy in a rubber suit with two arms and two legs to me. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, I was just thinking about it, you know. Oh, here you go. It says a thousand members. Um, in the 24th century, there were 150 planets within the within the Federation, which doesn't seem like as many, doesn't it? I mean, 150 planets, when you consider the capabilities of the, the Starfleet vessels, which were able to travel at mm-hmm. warp speed isn't a vast sum so it may well indicate that there aren't many there that are appropriate for intelligent life yeah it's just something i thought about 
about the Genesis Project and why they're the, the planets that are within the Goldilocks zone are already inhabited by intelligent species. Yeah. Tying into the um, ancient humanoids. I mean, just take, for example, if you took the Genesis torpedo and you hit Venus with it, which is distinctly uh, hostile to life, you could take something that was that is essentially a, a horrendous hell of sulfur dioxide and carbon dioxide with a, run, a runaway greenhouse effect planet and then and then turn it into an Eden and it truly would become as many people used to believe Earth's twin yeah with it because it had a um, runaway greenhouse effect is what they scientists suggest isn't it yes I I love Venus I, I think it's a fascinating planet I think Mm-hmm. I'd love us to go there again, but I'm I'm going off topic. But, but taking taking this hellscape world and and turning it into uh, the jewel that it looks like in our night sky would be mm-hmm. would be incredible. That's assuming that there isn't anything alive there at the moment. Assuming that, yes. Yeah. Shall we talk about some of the com- conversations between Kirk and Khan? Yes. Let's let's do that. Go ahead. Get get started because I I this is where the film really comes to life. Yes. When um the Reliant open fires on the um Enterprise mm-hmm. and takes out engineering. Yes. And then he comes up on the screen, doesn't he? And he goes, "Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? It is very cold in space." I think he actually says in yeah. space. Yeah, I <laughs> obviously don't have the acting chops uh, to pull that off very well, well. I, 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 I don't really either but uh, no in space <laughs> but um, all of their com- conversations are great I think he says um, when he thinks Kirk is trapped down in the planet the, the, the look of satisfaction on his face mm-hmm. is, is amazing he's laid back in the chair he's, his head is yeah. tilted up and he just he's he's achieved his goal and you can it's just written all over him it's it's great to watch you can you can see the the triumph in him Mm -hmm. you're right it is a total look of i've won i'm the greatest and um because he's thinking i've disabled your ship you've lost i've won i'm the greatest you've got that and then of course Kirk's reaction. Go ahead. I'm, oh, I can't do it. I'm not bloody. Khan! Oh. Khan! <laughs> you cut out. You, well, you, you did that so loud, you cut out. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. This is, this is where I'll insert the. This is where I get the, uh, the old uh, Kelvin timeline Spock sound effect, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You chuck that in there. Khan! Uh, it's does... so pathetic, isn't it? It's so pathetic. I'm um... oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, because Khan's because Kirk is trying to get Khan to come down to the planet, isn't he? He goes, "I'm here. Come and get me. You know, come and kill me. It's me you want." And Khan replies with, "I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you, and I wish to go on hurting you. 
I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity at the centre of a dead planet, buried alive. And that's when Kirk goes, Kah! Exactly. And it, he's, he's, at this point, he's, he's teleported, um, oh, sorry, not teleported, transported uh, gen mm -hmm. the Genesis torpedo or the Genesis uh, device from the centre of that planetoid mm -hmm. and left Kirk not to die but to live there buried alive as mm -hmm. he says yeah marooned for all eternity yes oh, it's 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 wonderful and it's you mm -hmm. could say his, his his voice his his look he is that is he's got everything he wanted and it's it's all done with a bit of subterfuge from Terrell and Chekhov as well isn't it because they're still under his command or his suggestions of under Khan's suggestions mm -hmm. and um, and Khan is is like um, kill them and Terrell turns the phaser onto himself which is quite a shock I, I really. remember seeing that when I was when I was younger and for me for you know eight-year-old me or however old I was at the time that and his scream was was really quite shocking for me. When I when I rewatched it, I remember that same thing. It brought back the feelings of me being young, watching it with my dad, and being quite disturbed by it. And and, and I was enjoying the film and thinking and reminiscing about like how many times I've watched this film. Uh, but watching it this time, while I was thinking more about it and paying more attention to it, that thought suddenly popped into my head of that you know of him shooting himself in the scream. Like took me back to being young, like you said, about eight years old. Yeah, it's, it's having um, both of us having watched this when we were younger. I think it, it probably was a form of formative part of our childhood, and um, that scream and just because it, it wasn't instant either when he killed himself, mm. his body dissolves. It's probably no longer than a second, but it certainly lasted in my mind a whole lot longer than that. Yeah, and then um, Chekhov's giant then che Kirk Chekhov's giant ear roll. <laughs> Chekhov's giant lug hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So he's all right, which is good. And then um, Khan, um, Kirk speaks to Khan again, doesn't he? And then um, gets in contact with Spock, who tells him that it's going to be days until the Enterprise is fixed. Yes, I explain the by the book thing because I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit slow. I never really entirely got that. <laughs> I, I, I understand that days mean hours and hours mean minutes and and so on but i never understood why it was by the book you lied i exaggerated <laughs> yeah that's right i don't believe in a no-win situation oh that's it yeah because he picks it up after terrell commits suicide he says can't you bloodsucker oh no actually i'll do it in a kirk voice if i can hold on let me just get into the zone Khan, you bloodsucker, you're gonna have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well done, that man. Well done, indeed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll accept my Oscar now. Um, I, I like what he says as well. He goes, Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still, old friend. You've managed to kill just about everybody hold on, else. Hold on. Like hold on. Hold on. Still, old friend. Because <laughs> he really does say it like that. <laughs> yeah, still, old friend, you've managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. 
I think you're ideally suited to this. <laughs> I think so. I should be. I should be a, a, a Kirk impersonator. <laughs> it's certainly better than my impression of him saying Seti Alpha Five. Well, I don't know. That was pretty good. I, I don't know why it was by the book, but either way, they're, they're assuming that Khan's listening into their communications because he's in a, in a mm. captured Federation ship, and their ship yes. being wounded as it is, they are probably prioritising getting the thing going as opposed to as opposed to that. Although I'm sure Uhura could could work some magic on the uh, on the comms there, but um, yeah, it. it that is a great scene, and of course you've got the the classic Khan scream, which is mm-hmm. even if you don't know Star Trek, I I would lay money that you'd know that. Even if you don't like science fiction, you know what a Jedi is. You know Darth Vader. You know the Enterprise, and you know Kirk shouting Khan. Yes, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just, it's just they're so popular that even if you not interested you know what they are exactly exactly and you know people they've become so entrenched in our culture now the just showing a picture of the enterprise someone will know exactly what it is there's kirk shouting khan there's klingons even you know other examples like even if you have never seen an episode of doctor who you know the name you you know uh, Tardises and Daleks. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like anybody who does the uh, the Vulcan salute, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with a live long and prosper, you know, everybody knows what that is as well. Because you could hold that up to somebody, and they would reply, "Live long and prosper," not even knowing where it come from. If you'd never seen Star Trek, even. Exactly. It's it's one of those popular things. It, it has become so ingrained in our culture, and and that's just a real testament to this series and and indeed maybe maybe not what it stands for but certainly certainly it's 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 presence in the cultural mind so we talk about the last bit in the nebula mutar mutara oh, i have deprived your the mutara nebula. i have deprived your ship of power and when i swing around i mean to deprive you of your life why <laughs> so that's so good yeah, because the, the Enterprise is still massively damaged, and the Reliant could kick its ass, even though the Enterprise is a more powerful ship. So they destroyed engineering, didn't they? Yes. Uh, the Reliant did. So they're trying to get the Reliant and Khan to follow them into the Nebula, where they'll be on a bit more evil, even keel. I like an evil keel. Or even not an evil keel. Yeah, that's what you, that's what that's even, what you said. An evil. I'm sure it's you said a bit more of an evil keel. Like, oh yeah. An even, an even keel. This must be my accent because I'm sure I said the uh, on uh, where the odds are more fifty-fifty. But they say like uh, uh, one of um, Khan's chums say, if we go in there, we're not going to be able to use tactical shields. Will be useless. So they they stop. So um, Kirk baits him again, and he's so good at baiting Khan. He knows exactly what to say. He goes, um, we tried it your way, Khan. Are you going for a rematch? Khan, I'm laughing at the superior intellect. <laughs> and Khan just instant rage and comes after him. And uh, Kurt goes, well, I'll say this for him. He's consistent, yeah. which I think is a nice flippant little remark. Yeah, it's great. He's Khan is at, the, <laughs> at this point, he's, you know, he's back to the calm, controlled Khan. I have domination over all I see. And then Kirk just needles him. 
and needles him so well because he knows Kirk knows all the buttons to press because he knows by this point he's worked out what makes Khan tick and he goes and presses those buttons just like you said yeah yeah exactly no because the other people said like um, Kirk's realised that Khan's only come here and lured him there to get revenge and there's nothing that Khan is not going to let that go is he and 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 even in the in space seat he um he mocked his so-called superior intellect as well didn't he yeah and 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 it's even supported by his his second in command who says you have everything you want you have the ship you have genesis you can go wherever you want and yet mm-hmm. even then the thought of besting kirk still overrides mm-hmm. all of that even though he realizes the most sensible not just the most sensible but the most reasonable option would be to say, I've got everything I want, I'm going to go take over that planet that we originally went, wanted to do 200 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And and the very, very subtle Moby Dick references, which were um, alluded to throughout the film, is Kirk is his white whale. Yes. Which we've already said, so he can't do anything but chase him. Yeah. And this this Mutara Nebula scene, this this could easily have slowed the film down because you transition from immediate tension, immediate threat of the Reliant as she pulls up behind the Enterprise, gaining on her, and and transitions into into a different phase where we're going through this. Uh, I've got to admit the the effects on this part are are really kind of classic 80s. They're they're quite clearly <laughs> they are very 1982. Yep, they are, there are two ships floating around on a green screen and the green screen is food coloring in a fish tank <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it could quite easily have have slowed down and it does slow down but not without dropping the tension it, it it's, it's like a it's like a submarine film like a hunt for red october because they're both blind and neither yep. wants to use active sensors in order to work out where the other one is, because once one, once you reveal your position, that's it. You've got a t- torpedo going up your up your warp nacelle, um, <laughs> for want of for want of a better word. And um, they, so it is a, ca- a a game of cat and mouse. But this nebula is is a great tool to to level the playing field. So we're not quite sure who's cat and who's mouse at this point. That's that's right. And um, the Enterprise gets hit, doesn't it? But the crew of the Enterprise are much more much more experienced in the space battle because there's a point there that um, Spock makes a point that Khan's battle plan suggests two-dimensional thinking. So they just drop down on the Z-axis and then come up behind them and. and blow the absolute crap out of the uh, the Reliant. Nearly all of Khan's crew is killed. Yeah, that that's that's the the, the, the culmination of the Mutara Nebula bit and it's it is mm. you that this this part for me really highlights that not only do we have Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, uh, and and the Holy Trinity, but you have that that character that people forget is a character until you think about it and that is the enterprise herself when you see her rising out of the gloom that's a deflector dish glowing 
uh, as she yeah. as she looms up behind the Reliant and prepares to fire. You 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 cheer inwardly or outwardly if you're me um, as she, <laughs> as she comes up and just gets ready to lay waste to the Reliant. So, but yeah. that really shows that. At this point, you're not you're not cheering on Kirk. You're not cheering on Spock or, or Sulu for his his deft helmsmanship. You are cheering on the Enterprise herself. That's that's right. You've you've put it um, wonderfully. You in that point, the Enterprise itself is the main character. Yeah, and 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 it even goes down to things like the the, the good old trope, for example. Um, earlier on as the Reliance before all the conflict happens as the Reliant is first approaching the Enterprise the Enterprise, her main colours are you've got that blue glowing deflector dish mm-hmm. um, and the Reliant has instead of blue you have from her bridge and the uh, the little cupola underneath is red mm-hmm. so blue are the good guys, red are the bad guys <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't noticed that actually, but now you've said it, you're like, that's very true. Yeah, the, the, they are. It is. It is making it like we can point out with the ships, good guy, bad guy. Well, it's the same as taking the A New Hope, for example. So the good, the good Jedi, Luke has a nice blue lightsaber, and the bad Jedi has a red lightsaber, which will be Darth Vader. I'm not going to start preaching to you about Star Wars because I know you know way more about that than I do. <laughs> the same pr- the same principle Perhaps applies. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And then you have the accumulation of the film now, don't we? Which goes back to the beginning about um, aging and friendship and loss and and regret, perhaps because um, Spock saves everybody by. I'm just going to sit entrance. here while my heart breaks again. I know, because um, the Genesis uh, weapon has been activated by Khan, who's who's crawling around the bridge of the Reliant. Um, and they say, like, we need to get out of the nebula because uh, we're going to be destroyed and as Khan well. Khan crawling around the bridge of the Reliant, so, spitting uh, curses like a real Shakespearean villain. <laughs> That's right. Oh, like a he, like do, he a does become a villain, isn't he? A yeah. little bit campy at this point, but you lap it up, don't you? Yeah, that's right, because his last thing is, no, no, you can't get away from hell's heart. I stab at thee for hate's sake. I spit my last breath at thee. He he has some amazing lines, but it is his his last one. It is still so watchable. Even with all the tomato sauce over his face, yeah, it's that's, fantastic. That's, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's pretty much every line that he does, and every time he's on the screen, he he makes this film. I think him and his chest, yes. the, the him and his chest, of, of Khan. <laughs> like uh, some of the the ending bits here, where um, Spock is in the reactor room. And Scotty and uh, McCoy stop Kurt from opening the, the door to get him out. Yeah, the, the pain in Scotty's voice—you you can hear it. He—he, he, uh, James Doohan, who who plays Scotty, his his voice 
it doesn't crack, but it just pitches really strangely, and you can you 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 know he's 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 even in, even he's the way hurting, he says it does pain. sound callous, but in the way Scott always speaks, he says when he's holding him back, he says uh, you'll flood the whole compartment. He's dead already, but there's still emotion in there. It's not like oh you know screw him. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Well, he's he's just saying it like it is, but you can hear every 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 string in his heart is being being torn when he has to say those words. It's 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 and well, you know, I think the acting by by all four of them in this point: DeForest Kelly as McCoy, Shatner as as Kirk, James Doohan. As, as Scotty and of course Leonard Nimoy, they, it it's, it still puts a lump in my throat when I watch it today. <laughs> you know, 20, 20 years later, Jesus. Forty years later. Forty yeah, years it's later. A long time ago, this film came out, isn't it? But like, like all all of this dialogue yeah. between them is is amazing. Because um, Scott uh, Spock says, "Don't grieve, Admiral. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh." And then Kirk comes in with the needs of the few and then Spock finishes all the one and then he says I never took the Kobayashi Maru until now what do you think of my solution and Kirk really can't say anything because he's full of grief and and that his best friend is the other side of a plastic wall dying and there's nothing he can do about it and he just says um, oh I'm choking up just thinking about it <laughs> I have always been, I have been and always shall be your friend, live long and prosper. And then, um, that's it, Spock dies. They, it's, do, do you know, yes the dialogue is great, and yes it's delivered really well, For, from my perspective it's it's the the little things so for example when spock stands up even, he straightens even his tunic he, he can't see because he's been already been blinded by the massive radiation in that room yeah that's right because he's cowering in the corner isn't he he sort of pulls himself up straightens his tunic in his uniform and then turns around and walks over to kirk yeah that's the the original picard maneuver <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's little things like him straightening his tunic because he always wants to be presentable, not just for his commanding officer, not just for his friend, but for himself. That's his. If if there's one thing he does have, it is pride, even though he claims he doesn't have any. And I think you know, just to he wants to be proper, mm. and that's just part of who he is. And then. Little things like 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 Spock's makeup, for example, mm-hmm. is heavily tinged with green. Mm-hmm. Oh, because of the obviously because of the green Vulcan blood. Exactly, and then you know, finally, it's the it's that final shot that really brings it home when you see them back to back, slumped together. Mm-hmm against that glass wall because you you have spock who has who's who's died saving the friends he loves mm-hmm. as well as as well as the crew that trainee crew that he trained up mm-hmm. and was although he had never admitted 
was proud of. Yep. Because if you if you remember, <laughs> Kirk meets up with him um, after the Kobayashi Maru test and says, I expect you're loitering to find out what rating I've given your cadets. I am naturally curious. <laughs> so there's the he's proud mm -hmm. of them. Yes, that's right. Even though even though he'd he'd never say it. No, of course not. Um, of course not. But... So he's he's saved all of them, and then it's just that though those two slumped against the wall back to back. One is physically died, and the other one, uh, a piece of him has died inside him. Yeah, yeah, well, it's his closest friend died right in front of him. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's it. As far as they know, that's that's it. That's their entire relationship is finished now. Their whole, their whole lifelong friendship, everything. Do you know what? When I go, I'd love to die like that, you know, saving people, but... What will probably happen is I'll be rushing into the kitchen to turn down the cooker, saving the chicken, and tri trip, trip and fall and hit my head. Oh yeah, that's right. I'd, or, or go like um, Elvis Presley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, I still like the idea of saving the chicken from burning, mm. but I'll take the Elvis Presley death as a as a second mm. choice. Okay. <laughs> Just the last. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a, no, a bit of a tangent. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a bit wrong. Um, I had to, no, I had to. I, I think we were getting quite serious. I had to break it up. No, that's okay. Like the last Kirk's last line, pretty much is of all the souls I've encountered in my travels, his was the most human. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! You're ruining it for me. Sorry. Sorry, but, uh, but yeah, this this film man is brilliant. Um, how it's written, how it's acted. I, I love these people anyway. You know, I, I won't have anybody say that they're not very good <laughs> without violence. Um, but like, there's 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 no in this whole film. Everything has a point. Every scene has a point. It's not dragged out. It's it flows really well. It, it's there's no plot holes. I don't think, apart from the whole Chekhov thing. But there's like no fat in this film. There's no there's no scenes in here which are pointless. You said this to me earlier in the week. You, your your very phrase was there is no fat on this film. And I tell you what, I went back and watched this movie again. And with that in mind, and when you said that, that made me appreciate it so much more because I was deliberately looking for things that were unnecessary. Um, I think the closest that came to it was the Mutara Nebula. I think the closest that came to it was the Mutara Nebula uh, because there's an instant change of pace and there's so much potential for slowing it down too much there. But no, it was, it was cropped just right there was his, I mean like when he's when Kirk comes aboard the Enterprise and he's doing the um, he's doing the inspection he's in engineering and he's talking to that he's ribbing that young midshipman and it turns out yes. to be um, Scotty's nephew and then later on after after um, Khan attacks and destroys engineering uh, Spock appears on the bridge carrying him because he's been killed basically in the attack and it adds that um, and it adds that other dimension into there that is personal for the crew as well because that's his, that's his sister's son 
Yeah, I, th- I think it might even have been Scotty carrying him rather than Spock. Oh, that's what I meant to say. Was <laughs> Scotty carrying him, not Spock. Yes. Thank. Of course you did. Thank you for pointing that out to me. <laughs> that's quite all right. My failures. <laughs> but even 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 the stuff with David, you know, going on about oh this is a typical Starfleet way and Kirk's the worst of them and blah blah blah, and even he comes around at the end, doesn't he? Because because Kirk doesn't know he's his son until Carol tells them when they're in when they're on the planet you know after Khan takes the Genesis weapons saying that David's your son and even David comes around to it in the end as well doesn't he David is Kirk without the experience or the responsibility headstrong emotional uh, fearless he's Kirk if he had gone gone on in a different direction Kirk has had to temper Mm. his his um, his headstrong nature because he's commanding a starship, you can't have a cowboy, unlike certain <clears throat> remakes. I think David, David was played well as Kirk if he'd taken a different path in life, without the responsibility for 400 crew. That's right. There are some some things that I don't like about it, even though it's one of my favourite films. There's, there are some things I, I, I don't like okay. about it. Um, for me, we have been sucking this film off quite a lot, so it's time to uh, spit it back in the face. Yeah, go on. Yep, I'm going to stop bending over <clears throat> and uh, talk. Let's talk about Carol Marcus. Okay. Who I just don't like her. No. I know she's a popular character. I know that amongst fans of this film, that she is a popular character. I just don't get it. I don't like her. She is. Irritating. I mean, she, she she's got the right attitude in the sense that you know this is her project, this is her baby. Why is Starfleet taking it away when when Chekhov says that uh, on the orders of Admiral Kirk um, that we're going to go ahead and take this away? And I, I totally understand that. I just don't like her. Mm. Uh, you know, no disrespect to the, the actress who who played her. You know, she's 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 gone now. But I'm sorry, I don't like her 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 portrayal of of Carol Marcus, even though. I mean, she could potentially be just such an interesting. She could be so interesting as a foil, mm-hmm. a, a, another foil to Kirk. But she, she, she just doesn't work for she me. She is there. Excuse me. She is there as as a a point between Kirk and David. Because otherwise, what's where's their relationship? Where's Dave, Where's David and Kirk's relationship? Even though... Oh yeah. To be fair, if, if 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 Carol Marcus wasn't there, then and it was just Kirk and David meeting, there would be absolute fireworks without her to moderate it. I don't dispute mm-hmm. that at all. And and I think like they needed to make uh, David Kirk's son. They didn't need to, or they didn't have to, I should say, but they needed to because it's a part of the overall theme of the film about age life loss and and everything like that i think that he needed to be kirk's son yeah i I don't i don't disagree with that at all i think i mean kirk is known he's he's been known to uh you know fraternize with 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 certain women over the course of the the original series you know just once or twice he's quite restrained um (laughs) so it's it's unsurprising that there's a surprise son there Mm -hmm. although he's incredibly tall next to the two of them but uh the i i'm not surprised by that and i think that 
I think that um, he does he does play it well, and I I, I do genuinely genuinely like his his portrayal of of David. I just mm-hmm. I know I know that that Carol Marcus is supposed to be like a fulcrum between the two of them. That's right. But you're right that that David would be is if if Kirk had grown up without his father being in Starfleet David is uh, is exactly how Kirk would be at that age yes yeah I, th- I think that's I'm just agreeing that I'm right <laughs> yeah you <laughs> yes. are yeah. well actually yes yes I am quite right about <laughs> yes, this all, so. the, all <laughs> the points that I have made are 100% accurate and true <clears throat> modesty mode on it, it says a lot about the film itself that the only thing that we don't like about the film as such is the character of Carol Marcus yeah I, I if you can narrow down what you don't like about a film to something that is not a key player no. I think that's not too bad not too bad going is it no not at all and I mean I mean she's perfectly fine like you said she's perfectly fine it's just mm-hmm. that out of everything else in this film it's the, the bit that stands out and you're like uh. <laughs> you know it's it's really struggling to find something you don't like about the film whereas like other films that I absolutely love I could point out tons of stuff that I don't like about but this one is I agree with you Carol Marcus not, yeah. not, I not mean, the it, actress the when the you look yeah yeah, it's it's the character and the way she's set up. I, I, I think her portrayal, she probably portrayed her as as was intended. It's just the character itself. Just there was there was a a lot more potential there. Not not making the role bigger, but I think there could have. I think it would have been more interesting if there was a a little more sort of I don't know personal reminiscence between them because although she quite clearly dislikes him now there is you can still see that there is still something between them and I think it would have been nice if we could have just amped that up a little bit mm-hmm. not 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 hugely but just a little bit you know yes just to make to, 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 to show the tie between them a little bit more but I'm sure there's there's plenty of ways that it could have been done and I'm sure that you've got your ideas I've got mine I'm sure plenty of I'm sure all of our listeners have got <laughs> plenty of ideas as well but um, I mean there are some some really good supporting roles in this as, as well yeah. that really do make the film work like I love the re- relationship between uh, Spock and Savick yes their their relationship is pretty good isn't it that and at the time Kirstie Alley was like oh yeah she's a beautiful lady um there's some there's some amazing lines between Savick and Spock. Like uh, when Savick first meets, you know, meeting Kirk, uh, she says, "He's he's not what I expect, sir." And Spock says, "What surprises you, Lieutenant?" And she says, "He's so human." And Spock replies, "Well, nobody's perfect, Savick." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just think it's a really funny line. They're speaking. They're that speaking that, that was spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like that one as well. That's, it just it says all you need to know about uh, about mm. the, their relationship. And I even 
I even like to imagine that that Spock might have been saying it with slightly tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. even though he doesn't look like it. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of the things he say are quite tongue in cheek. Yes. <laughs> are we going to go go on about the exiting from Star Starbase again? No. Which I which I would love to, <laughs> but <laughs> it's great. All right, but okay. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like her. No, no, it's 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 horrible, isn't it? When you when you, you everything about this film is is brilliant, but just that one thing, and it's it's, yeah. it's you feel guilty about saying, "Oh, I don't like her." Hopefully. So we uh, so at, at at the end, of course, we we finish up um, the movie with the funeral hmm. of of Spock. And it is this is this is a major character who we have come to love over the years, and of course his death was if if I as I said earlier, if, if I had to die, I'd, I I would want to go doing something of the magnitude that he did, and 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 it is it really does tug the heartstrings. It's, you know, you get the bagpipes going and. It's it's really it is a very emotional scene, and especially as you mentioned before with with what Kirk says. But then they send him onto the Genesis planet. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, because it ends off with the um, the scene of the lush jungles on the Genesis planet, and you see the the torpedo case, which had Spock's body in it, and it's landed on the planet. But that's that's the very final thing, isn't it? And you've got Spock's voice. Um, says the says the the great Star Trek speech of space the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. But just before that, you've got um, McCoy and Carol Marcus and Kirk are looking at the planet on the main viewer of the Enterprise, and Kirk quotes the last lines of the Tale of Two Cities, which is uh, it's a far far better thing I do than I have ever done before. A far better resting place than I go to than I have ever known. And then McCoy asks how Kirk feels, and he says, uh, young, I feel young, because he's back where he should be. He's back in command of a spaceship. Mm-hmm. He's with his friends again, oh, minus his closest one. But he still has the entire galaxy in front of him. And unfortunately, it took the death of his best friend to realize that he was being wasted as an admiral sitting behind a desk. Maybe it's even... Spock's last gift to him. Yeah, because uh, Spock says earlier in the film, doesn't it? If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. And he's and absolutely he's... right on that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, he, 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 he knows his friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. he knows that fly, being a desk jockey will just mean that will in the in the context of this film being a desk jockey he will simply age and and wither away in the in the same way that um you know if you're not active in retirement or whatever that you just kind of fade away mm-hmm. and this is what yeah, would happen with him that, that's exactly what was happening with kirk as well while he was as an admiral he's just sort of plodding along Mm-hmm. in his life I mean like it was his birthday 
he wasn't having a party or going out for drinks with friends or anything. He was drinking Romulan ale with McCoy, mm-hmm. who popped over because he knew it was his birthday. Yeah. Kirk wasn't interested in celebrating another year older, was he? No. No, because of the position that he had got himself into by becoming an admiral, taking the promotion. Um, so, all right, what are we going to be uh, talking about next, Chris? I don't know. Have, uh, we did Khan because we you were about to talk about that. I have an interest in talking about the Guardian of Forever. Okay, so, all right, so this time was my pick. We're going to go with Guardian of Forever, and wow, that's that is going to be that's going to be quite the rabbit hole. That is because it's he's a, the Guardian of Forever is has appeared in the original series in Enterprise and most recently in Discovery. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot to talk about with him, with him, with the Guardian of Forever, or Carl. Carl. I'll, I'll call him from now on. Oh yes, Carl. Carl. Yes. <laughs> with Carl. <laughs> But it would be quite interesting to talk about about the Guardian of Forever and its motivations, mm-hmm. why it was built for for starters. And... Yeah, there's 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 so much potential with the Guardian of Forever because, mm-hmm. and and that is a that is a great pick um, because the Guardian of Forever can effectively be anywhere at any any time and any place and. I think it'd be great to explore how it has affected the episodes we see, how it can affect the episodes outside of that. So, yeah, awesome pick. Um, I thought my pick was good, but I think yours is is even more all-encompassing. Yeah, I think... Because yeah, with your pick about Khan, it is, it is um, about that one character. And it's because it's basically a duel between... Khan and Kirk and that was Space Seed was basically that as well as the Wrath of Khan is the duel between Kirk and Khan so talking about the Guardian of Forever is different to talking about a character and his relationship with another character this is more of a more of a thing that has affected the past present and future by its very nature and it would be quite interesting I think to talk about that yes I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's, it's, it's completely removed from Khan so um, it, it's going to be a really interesting concept to talk about oh, I need to stop saying the word interesting because everything is interesting to me <laughs> actually <laughs> actually all of Star Trek is interesting to me <laughs> because it bloody well is very interesting to me all of it is interesting to me I could sit here now for the rest of the night and just read Memory Alpha <laughs> yeah well I've really got into that since you pointed it out actually it's, 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 it's oh, actually um, it's actually <laughs> <laughs> I've, 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 I actually that is quite the um, quite the rebel who quite the no, I'm reading it. It's quite the um, rabbit hole to go down, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. so, um, oh, I just uh, don't even know what I'm saying. I'm sorry. No. Well, I think we've spoken enough this evening, and for I think perhaps our listeners are going to get a bit bored now. So we're going to say goodbye. Nev, do you want to sign off? 
Yes. Thank you for listening to Shields Up Podcast Lockdown Edition. And remember, this is SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I remember. <laughs>